Welcome back to the Bible Brush Up Podcast. We're continuing our series, the 12-week Torah, and today we are taking another look at the book of Genesis. This will probably be the last podcast for the week, but I thought it would be necessary to look at some of the very important developments that occur in the book of Genesis between chapters 11 and chapters 12, which is uh, the chapters on your reading plan today. In chapter 11, we have the story of the Tower of Babel. And those of you that have spent time this week reading through that, hopefully some of these uh, components that we'll talk about today popped out at you. But um, as we mentioned in one of the previous podcasts, this seems to be the people's attempt to restore what they lost in Eden. As we saw before, the sin that occurred in Eden resulted in the loss of a lot of blessings that people had in the original creation. They were kicked out of Eden. There began to be strife between people, division between individuals, which did not exist in Eden. In Eden, there was perfect harmony between the man and the woman and uh, any others that might have been present there if they had had children while in Eden. Those are some of those lingering questions that we're not 100% sure of. It may have been that they had not yet had children until after they were kicked out. Um, but regardless, in Eden would have been perfect harmony, perfect relationships. Furthermore, they lose their relationship with God. They once walked with God in the garden. They once had this fellowship that was pure and was regular and routine. But now their relationship with God is shaky and uncertain because they now no longer have access to God. They no longer can walk with him in the cool of the day like they did in Eden. And so uh, as you saw in one of the chapters, it says that they began to call upon the name of the Lord because of their removal from the garden and their distance from God and the irregularity of their experiencing his presence like they once did. Now they begin to call on him in prayer. And uh, this is important. They start to uh, make altars and to worship God in a, a different way because it's the only way they know to access God. And of course, over time, these altars and this form of worship gets diluted and perverted to where they begin worshiping other deities rather than God himself. Uh, and then furthermore, they are separated from the land. We talked about that extensively in the previous podcast, that they were connected to the land of Eden, and now they were removed from the land. The, the ground is going to be different towards them. Cain was cursed as a wanderer, and he was sent east, just like Adam and Eve were sent east. And it seems that uh, Cain's eastward uh, movement is even more extreme than Adam and Eve's. And east sort of becomes a symbol of distance from God in these early chapters. And uh, that's exactly what we have here in the Tower of Babel episode. It says in verse 2, And the people migrated from the east, and they found the plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And this is where Babel is going to be erected, the Tower of Babel. And Babel itself stands as a symbol of sin and a symbol of separation from God throughout the rest of Scripture. Uh, it will eventually turn into the name Babylon, uh, but definitely from the same region. And this area becomes the epitome of evil in the biblical narrative. It is identified with and associated with separation from God and sin against God. It becomes the enemy of God as the people of Babylon rise up and, of course, will end up destroying the temple of God and taking the people captive later on in the narrative. 
So as we look at this story and we think about all that was lost in Eden and how people have moved this far away, we need to understand that there's still an internal longing to be restored to Eden, even in people that are sinners, even in people that have been moved uh, from this land and from the presence of God and people who are now beginning to be at odds with one another. We already see some of the evil that exists. Uh, the floods already occurred. We have people um, that are ensnaring people in slavery, and there's already mighty warriors that assume there are battles. And um, so there's already this division of people and these broken relationships and all this that has unfolded. But they still in their hearts long to be with God. They long to have unity of people, and they long to have the land that they lost in Eden. And that's exactly what the people in Genesis 11 tried to accomplish by their own strength. It says, they said to one another in verse 3, come let us make bricks and turn them thoroughly or burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed. See, they don't want to be dispersed. They want harmony. They want to be together. They want the unity that was found in Eden. So they want to do something that will cause them to be together rather than to be spread out. And so they build this tower. And the tower has its tops in the heavens. They want a tower that can reach up and experience the fellowship and communion with God that they lost in Eden. And those who like to attach this historically, um, this is most likely a ziggurat is what it's called. These are giant pyramid-type structures that were erected in the ancient world to access God in the heavens. And so they would climb the stairs and they would worship God on these high points. And they believed that maybe this was a way that they could restore their fellowship with God. They couldn't walk with him in the cool of Eden anymore, but maybe through all the memory and all the legends that have been passed down hundreds of years since they lost this, they're still longing to access him. And they think maybe they have unlocked a way to access God and to experience him and to have communion with one another once again. And so they build this tower and they build this city. And uh, so now they've, they feel like they've accomplished what they lost. They've received and restored what they lost. They have each other, they have access to God, and they have a land, a city that they can call their own. And furthermore, they want to make a great name for themselves, it says. Now I bring that last point up because I believe that it is one of the literary cues that connect this story to the very next chapter. And so after the Tower of Babel, God comes down, he scatters the people, and he disrupts their plan. He doesn't like their plan, and he's just invalidating that there is a, an ability to restore Eden by man's own will. You can't do it. You can't restore it. It's been lost. It's been taken away. You can't recreate Eden, and you cannot recreate the harmony and the unity that once existed in Eden um, apart from God's divine work. And that's what I think Genesis 12 is about. 
we compare Genesis 12 to Genesis 11. I think they're side by side in the scripture for a reason. The writer of Genesis, Moses, we believe, put these two together because they contrast one another. They, they are in stark differentiation from uh, in their content and in what is being accomplished here. And so verse 12, the Lord comes to Abram and the Lord speaks to Abram and he says this. He says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And by the way, this is, he's calling him from the east to go back west, back towards what would have geographically been uh, correlated with Eden. We don't know exactly where Eden was, but the fact that there, well, there's a lot of language throughout scripture that would make you assume that perhaps maybe it was in the region of Israel. But even, you know, once the flood rearranged everything, who knows? But geographically, they're now moving east to west, which would have signified that they're moving closer to God and from the presence of God that they lost when they were kicked out of Eden. So he's moving him back west, and he says this, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in all families of the earth, in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. Now don't miss this. We've heard this story a million times, and we often pick up on the fact that God's promising him land and promising him a big family, but did you pick up on the fact that God is going to give him a great name? Because that's exactly what the people in Babel were trying to accomplish for themselves. They wanted a great name, but they don't get a great name. In fact, they get dispersed. They get divided. They get broken up. They get scattered all over the planet. Uh, but now we look here and God comes to Abram and he says, I'm going to make you a great name. And it just shows the difference. When you go out to make your name for yourself, you go out into, um, to to work on your own behalf and to bring glory to yourself, you're trying to exalt yourself, then you will be debased. But if you come humbly before God, then he will lift you up. He will exalt you. And that's exactly what is happening here. Abram is going to be the one who gets a great name. Abram is going to be the one who gets the land. Those in Shinar and Babel, they wanted the land. They wanted a city. They wanted to all unite together in harmony in this place. That doesn't happen. But with Abram, God comes and God is going to do that. And since God is going to do it, it's going to succeed. He's going to give him land and he's going to give him descendants who live in the land in harmony and in peace. And that, that is a promise to Abram that is going to be fulfilled as we go through scripture and as we uh, look at not only what happens to Israel, uh, but ultimately what happens to Christ and his church and in the new heaven and new earth and the new Jerusalem, uh, we see these things fulfilled. And so what we're looking at is a restoration recipe here. Shinar and Babel could not accomplish that, but God through Abram will accomplish that. He's going to give them land. He's going to give them people. And of course, it comes accompanied with the presence of God. God is going to be there with them. He's going to establish a covenant with them. He didn't establish a covenant with those in Babel. He establishes a covenant with Abram. And Abraham is going to 
Abram, who becomes Abraham, is going to go to the land of promise, and there he's going to uh, establish a, a nation, and that nation is going to grow into a people who are going to end up having a temple there, and God's presence is going to be there, and this is going to be a, a mini microcosm version of Eden um, that serves as a template for the new heaven and the new earth that comes down one day, where God's presence is going to permeate the land. They're going to have restoration of Eden. But this is the starting point of it. This is where all that unfolds in Scripture really takes off. This is where Genesis really wants you to focus. It spends very little time talking about the age of the earth, the dinosaurs, and some of the other trivial matters that we get bogged down on as we look at Genesis and the opening chapters. And it spends most of its time talking about the restoration of God's people, um, the result of the fall of mankind, and what God is doing to restore us back. And so that's where I think we need to set our gaze and focus uh, as we read through Scripture, because the most of the Bible is about that. Um, one other thing I will mention this morning as we are concluding is uh, that God's emphasis here in this story in Genesis 12 and really in the flood narrative as well is the idea of covenant. And the covenant is one of God's promises. And uh, sometimes they're unilateral where God just makes a promise. For instance, with Noah, Noah doesn't have to do anything. No one has to live up to their end of the bargain. They just listen to God's promise and he fulfills it. He promises he'll never flood the earth again. And that's what the sign of the rainbow is to convey. And that's his promise. And it's a covenant that we don't have to do anything on our end. Uh, but Abraham gets a promise from God, a covenant. And Moses will get a covenant. David will get a covenant. And these covenants, a lot of them have uh, elements that are bilateral, where the person involved in the covenant also has something to do. And so Abraham is called on to be righteous and faithful, and um, the people of Moses, the same thing. They are called on to be righteous and faithful, and in doing so, they're going to get to participate in the covenant. Uh, however, if they are not faithful, it doesn't mean that the covenant fails and that God does not hold up his end of the bargain and he doesn't live up to his promises, but rather another generation or another group of people will end up stepping in and participating in their stead. And that's what we see in the Moses narrative as they're going to the promised land. God says, if you live up to your end of the bargain, you will get to enter the promised land. You will get to experience the blessings of God. But because the first generation failed to do so, they did not get to enter the promised land. But another generation rose up to the occasion and they were able to enter the promised land. So this is a reminder to us today as we read through the scripture that God's promises uh, will never be null and void. God's promises are eternal and they are irrevocable, but that does not mean that you and I will always be a participant in those because we have a response to make. We have faithfulness to uh, show and to live out, and if we are unfaithful, then someone else will get to be a part of those promises and a part of God's uh, divine work of restoration. But if we are faithful and if we do put our trust in Christ, then we too can be participants in what God is doing. And that's what I hope this podcast today will encourage you to do, to go out and to be faithful and to participate in God's ongoing work. We'll see you next time on the Bible Brush Up Podcast.